3: Hello everyone and welcome to Too Much Information, the show that brings you the secret history and little-known, fascinating facts behind your favorite music, movies, TV shows, and more. We're two guys with too much free time in our hands. My name is Jordan Runtog, And I'm Alex Heigl. And Jordan, on this episode, we are turning our bloodshot
1: eyes to the Osborns the reality TV lodestar that turned Ozzy Osbourne from a cocaine-addled heavy metal icon into a cuddly sitcom-esque patriarch. And foisted his wife, Sharon, and daughter, Kelly, onto an unsuspecting nation. Son, Jack, was also there. Oh, <laughs> love Jack. Yeah, we'll get to Jack. I have no quarrel with him. He's fine. The show's 20th anniversary was in March, which means it's nearly twice as old as Ozzy's original tenure in Black Sabbath, which Whoa. is something I find hilarious. It's how, like, Henry Rollins has been doing spoken word about being in Black Flag for, like, seven times the amount of time he was in Black Flag. Anyway, Jordan, I cannot imagine you being a fan of this show or really of Black Sabbath in general. I was just getting into my Black Sabbath fandom when this came on. So yeah, I was poised to enjoy it. What
3: about you? No, I mean, back in 2002, I was tuned into TV land watching like the actual 50s sitcoms that this show spoofed. So like the cardigan crowd was more my thing. (laughs) I was deep into the adventures of Ozzy and Harriet rather than... Ozzy Osbourne, which, I mean, does anyone get that reference, like the adventures of Ozzy and Harry? Because that's actually an interesting story. They were sort of, in a weird way, the actual first reality TV family. Have you ever heard on. of them? They they were a real family, and they all acted together in this sitcom that the dad produced and directed, Ozzy, and they acted on a set of their house that was like identical to their real house, and it was just like things that were happening in their real life. They would just write into the show, and then they had Ricky Nelson, who's a, a pop singer mm-hmm. in the '60s, like had a you know pop career spinoff. I'm just like Kelly did in the Osbornes. Yeah. Like it's it's definitely interesting, but um, well, let's
1: not tar Ricky Nelson with the same brush. as I'm sorry, I'm gonna be
3: really mean to kelly in this episode i don't find her charming um anyway that's that's enough about that (laughs) aussie let's get into the other aussie the prince of darkness yeah i would have never dreamed that the guy behind crazy train would become one of the most beloved tv personalities of our generation it's easy to forget that there weren't really any shows at this time that did the whole like hollywood wildlife documentary thing where they showed celebrities in their natural habitat and in addition to the lack of these kinds of shows this was also pre-social media so Famous people's private lives were truly private. Yeah, And it's difficult for people who are maybe 10 years younger than us to recall how compelling it was to just see celebrities at home doing normal stuff or like in their car or on vacation. I mean, these shows are so run of the mill now that that almost might seem boring, but the premise was groundbreaking on the Osbournes and the, the New York Times had a review. I think it was the week that the Osbournes show premiered and it said, most shows take nobodies and turn them into somebodies. This show took somebodies and turned them into nobodies which is great. I mean, it's it's sort of like a fish out of water story about Ozzy just trying to make sense of the normal <laughs> world and managing people who are asking him to do simple tasks. I mean, you know, I, I went to screenwriting school. They told me that drama is conflict and sometimes that's Hamlet, sometimes that's Sophie's Choice, and sometimes that's a man trying to figure out how to use his remote control so he can watch a World War II <laughs> documentary on the History Channel. Drama comes in many forms. Jordan. I was going to say before we start this episode, I really need to ask: Can you scream my name like Sharon? I used to have a really good Aussie impression in my back pocket. I don't think I have it anymore. It's
1: been a while. I mean, it's it is really funny. I. One of the two most formative things that I spent an ungodly amount of time watching were both on VH1. It was the 100 Greatest Artists of Hard Rock Countdown hosted by Carmen Electra and the most shocking moments in rock and roll. Oh, uh, yeah. Hosted by Mark McGrath. And that came out in 2001. So, like, the whole thing about, like, Ozzy biting the head off the bat, snorting the line of ants, that was all, like, part of the Very vivid to you. Yeah, and it's all part of, like, the received hagiography about him. But, like, also, this wasn't, like, Mark Burnett or whatever. This, like, the people who did this kind of just came out of nowhere at MTV. It it really is, it really is quite a thing. Anyway, whatever the case may be, we are going to get into the medical feasibility of snorting that line of ants, <laughs> Sharon's, uh, whatever she's been up to lately, whatever you can call that, and the curiously high amount of dollars that several pairs of Aussie's wire rim glasses sold at auction in 2007. And there's the flying ham. Oh, yes. And how could we forget Hamgate? Here's everything you didn't know about the Osborns. So, we touched on this seconds earlier. But there were not a ton of shows that brought you into the celebrity world. Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous is probably the easiest analog that you could get into. But it was actually an episode of MTV's Cribs two years before the Osborne's two thousand two launch. That was kind of their soft audition for the show. You know, by two thousand, Ozzy hadn't put out an album since Osmosis in nineteen ninety five. The man has a truly stellar track record of naming records after his names. Just different Oz puns. Gotta yeah. love him. Blizzard of Oz is the best one, I think. Eh, it's good. It's good. So as we mentioned, the most you'd see of Ozzy around this time was either at OzFest each year, where they would trot him out to do the Sabbath and the solo stuff with a rotating cast of much younger musicians, including pre-Metallica bassist Rob Trujillo at one point, or on some VH1 special about him biting the head off the bat, snorting the line of ants or drinking his own urine or or urinating on the alamo don't forget that yes yes another another favorite thing the ant thing let's just get this out of the way immediately comes from the members of motley crew who wrote about it in the dirt which is their famous garbage book yeah garbage book about them being garbage people and a garbage band um (laughs) they've stood by it ozzy perhaps obviously says he has no memory of it and his guitar player, one of his guitarists, Jakey e. Lee, who's obviously a, just a fantastic shredder guitarist, he said in 2019, I was there and I never saw ants. He snorted a little spider. Still bad. Still bad. Yeah, still weird, uh, but not as bad as the line of ants. I don't care what the other guys say. There was no ants.
3: <laughs> so Just on the flip side of that, Ozzy also says that he has no memory of the birth of his first two kids, so... He could. It could have happened, and he also could have genuinely not remembered it. But, uh.
1: We have a lot of unreliable narrators on this show, from like Robert Plant and Jimmy Page to uh, you know a lot of unreliable narrators. But Ozzy may be the most unreliable. Anyway, the Osbournes opened their home to Cribs in September of two thousand. And do you know who the other guests on that episode were, Jordan? No, who Moby and
3: Jewel? That's very two thousand. Yeah, that's it's super insanely two thousand.
1: So Kelly, uh, during that episode, famously outs Ozzy as a Britney Spears and NSYNC fan. And, um, you know, there's been two great oral histories of this show that came out this year. The Ringer did one of them. And Jack told them that whenever the network did anything on OzFest, uh, which is Ozzy's annual or semi-annual, I have no idea. It's like his heavy metal music fest. Whenever MTV would do anything on it, Jack and Kelly were always like kind of the faces of it. And so he called that Cribs episode a second audition reel. Um, <laughs> answer, we're going to get into a lot Jack of- Jack
3: and Kelly are like Aussies, like representatives here on
1: Earth. <laughs> like, Yeah, his avatars. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of kind of no-name producers in here. I'll respect to them. So we're going to be naming a lot of people. So take notes, people. Producer Greg Johnston, who had kicked around MTV for a few years prior doing stuff like Buzzkill and Polly Shore's show, Totally Pauly, I have zero memory. Much like Ozzy and the birth of his children, I have no memory of that show. Based on Jack and Kelly and their wild off-the-charts chemistry on camera, I guess they were tapping them for VJ opportunities. But he took a lunch with Sharon at one point and she was just telling stories about, I mean, she's been in show business for forever. She took over Ozzy's career and really gave him his second of like three acts.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So she was just telling all these stories and, you know, he was like, wait a second. The producers are eating out of the palm of her hand. I mean, she's telling all these wild stories about like just misadventures that Ozzy gets up to around the house and stuff. And, and I guess over the course of this lunch, she kind of semi-comically moaned, God, I keep telling people these stories, and people don't ever believe half the stories I tell them. I need proof. And that kind of sparked the brainwave with, wait a minute, Bing! let's get this on camera. So there's another producer named Jeff Stilson,
1: who is formerly of the Chris Rock show. Oh, uh, no. He traces the inspiration to this to a BBC documentary called Fame and Fortune that featured the Osbournes. Um There's a clip yeah, of it, you it on YouTube. This?
3: It's fun. Yeah. It definitely seems like a soft launch of the Osborne's. Like there's a scene of them all eating dinner around the table and they're singing Monty Python's always look on the bright side of life and <laughs> cur- cursing at one another and, and little Kelly's like scolding her father. Like we shouldn't be using that language at the dinner table. Like it, It's very sweet.
1: You know, we just spent the entire intro to this show talking about how we didn't see Ozzy as this kind of character but have you ever seen um Decline of the West of Western Civilization Part 2 The Hair Metal Years no there's footage of Ozzy like puttering around the kitchen in a bathrobe fixing eggs and like making breakfast so he really has always been this person it's just a matter of whether or not how many cameras were there or not yeah he got Uh, his platform yeah Fifty years into his career, he finally got his platform. Uh, another producer, Lois Curran, had also worked on the dating game. So, quite an interesting collection of uh, of people, kind of
3: uh, of of talent converging on this show. A motley crew, if you will. Get. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> um I just want to give a quick shout out to Sharon Osborne. You touched on this earlier, but she was just instrumental in putting all this together and in so many of the Osborne family business dealings. And she's very much the business brains in this family and it's in her blood because her dad was actually Ozzy's manager in Black Sabbath, a guy called Don Arden, who is one of the most notorious music business heavies of all time. He's been called the Al Capone of pop, the English godfather, and (laughs) most vaguely but perhaps most terrifyingly, Mr. Big. And I, I, I don't I don't want to know how he got that nickname. Um, his business practices, if you could even call it that, are are legendary. I mean, back in the 60s, he bribed the people who published music charts to place his acts higher on the charts. Um, when one of his acts complained about unpaid royalties, he replied, I have the strength of 10 men in these hands and threatened to throw them out of a window. Um, the British group, the small faces, which later morphed into Rod Stewart's group, the faces, they tried to get a new manager. Don Arden didn't like this. He went to (laughs) this new manager and either threatened or some say did dangle this guy by his ankles out of a window. I mean, so this guy's basically Suge Knight 30 years early. Um, Yeah. Wild. And Sharon is his daughter, uh, which is how she met Ozzy. Weird side note before they dated, she dated Jay Leno. Ew. Like. Comedy store era Jay Leno. Can you imagine what? I I want like a butterfly effect about what like the world would be totally different. I don't want to imagine that world, frankly. I mean, what if Jay Leno fronted uh, Black Sabbath through a connection to Sharon? I mean, (laughs) Jesus Christ. So in Black Sabbath, who Sharon's dad managed, fired Ozzy in 1979, uh, Sharon took over as Ozzy's manager and they also began a relationship. And Her dad, Don Arden, was furious. And the next time she visited, pregnant, he supposedly sicked his dogs on her and she was mauled and lost the baby. That is insane. It's it's gothic. So Sharon then took Ozzy's contract to uh, an American label and her father, her own father, sued her for a million dollars in damages for going against him. And they didn't speak for 20 years. And in 2001, Sharon told The Guardian, He taught me everything not to do in business. My father's never seen any of my three kids. And as far as I'm concerned, he never will. Later that same year, I guess, at Ozzy's insistence, Sharon Aww. and her dad reconciled and he took a walk on role on the Osbournes. Um, and he met finally Jack and, and Kelly for the first time, who by this point were like almost in their 20s. But by this time, Don Arden was no longer the feared music manager of old. He was beginning to succumb to Alzheimer's and he died in 2007. So, a seriously fierce guy. And he passed that ferocity on to his daughter, Sharon. And hence, she ruled over the Osbornes TV production with a iron fist, but a benevolent iron fist.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, again, it can't be underscored enough how little rule book there was for reality tv at this point i mean i don't even know if reality tv was like the accepted term for
3: it i mean i don't think it existed then they they thought of this really as a documentary sitcom was the sort of yeah. the phrase that they used
1: jack said the only reference we had for reality tv at the time was the real world uh road rules cops <laughs> which now i'm imagining like the aussie either the aussie version of bad boys or <laughs> um crazy train done in the style of the reggae band who did cops um, you know, one of the things that they were worried about was uh, conversations around Ozzy's sobriety making it onto the air. But regardless, Johnston started shooting basic footage in the summer of 2001 and moved the production team into the house in October, same
3: year. Yeah, the Osbournes were in the midst of moving houses anyway, so producers thought this was like a great starting point for the show, this new beginning in their new home. They toured the house with Sharon and asked if they could set up a control room in an old maid's quarters, and to their shock, she was fine with it and agreed, and uh, it, it was generally thought that they'd be hanging around for like a couple weeks, like Sharon said, maybe three weeks tops, but three years later... They (laughs) were still there filming at some points up to 18 hours a day. And the crew members would liken it to filming a wildlife documentary. It's, really really insane to think now how this was shot the amount of time the producers had at their disposal is just absolutely mind-boggling because Sharon was an executive producer so there was kind of a certain sense of safety there from with the family's perspective that you know nothing truly that horrible would make it to air because they would have final say um, i shudder i shudder to think at the NDAs that were drawn up for this <laughs> yes oh yeah there there were a few off limits rooms in the house i think like Ozzy's home theater room or something was one of them yeah You'd go to like hang out and there are a few others, but the crew shot six days a week for about between sixteen and eighteen hours a day, and they had cameras in nearly every room in the house, and they had one or two cameras following each. I guess you'd call them principal cast member, each family member. Um, they had someone sleeping in the guest room at the Osbornes' house overnight in case something happened, which is how the famous ham throwing incident was preserved for posterity. We'll get to that. They even had a few spy cameras in some of the rooms. So if something started brewing in like one of the key public spaces of the house, they could kind of get wind of it and get their cameras in position. So by the end of this, they had thousands of hours of footage to call through for any given episode, which is Insane. I mean, they've said that on average they would have about 10 days worth of footage to make one single 30 minute episode, which (laughs) is would drive you insane now. I mean, but remember the original premise was basically real world Ozzy Osbourne. And the premise kind of diverged from that pretty quickly. Some of the producers for the Osborne show were friends with the real world team. And so they called them up and asked them how they shot the show and kind of took notes and got some advice for how to shoot a people documentary, basically a, a wildlife people documentary. <laughs> and there were really two key differences between how the real world was shot and how the Osborne's were shot. First of all, in the real world, the camera crew has really strict instructions not to speak to any of the castmates. And this wasn't gonna work on the Osbournes. I mean, you're guests in this family's house, so some kind of interplay and interaction is required. It'd be weird if you didn't like, you know, acknowledge them and say hi. Um the Osborne producers also diverged from the real world by eliminating any talking head segments. So, you know, instead of having the cast give confessionals, they approached the show as, in their words, a documentary sitcom where the story was moved along just by the footage. No narration, no retrospective insight, no confessionals, no asides. It was an unscripted sitcom, straight up. I mean, the term reality TV, as we said earlier, hadn't really been invented yet, or if it had, it wasn't in, you know, wide usage. Uh, So to the producers, this was a documentary sitcom. Yeah, and uh, MTV didn't know what to do. (laughs) Ever.
1: Well, well, yeah, by this point, it's kind of calcified into an institution that... Did not seem to know what it was doing, but yeah, there were some early battles and after those happened, production just kind of got to do it. It wanted, and some of the examples of battles that they would have was like MTV typical like exec thinking was like, well, this is, this is about the Osborns. So we got to have like current heavy metal playing under it. So they, uh, I think Stilson or Johnson talks about like seeing dailies where they had like Lincoln park playing under this footage, which Is
3: such a miss by Miles. Oh, yeah. I mean, what made this show work was that it was a faux 50s sitcom. I mean, I think of the first episode, wasn't there like a title on the screen that said like, here, you know, welcome the perfect American family or something like that. It was was that like perfect sarcasm. But, you know, instead of Ward Cleaver and all that father knows best stuff, you had Ozzy. So the whole idea of playing heavy metal underneath this just totally destroyed what was so special about the show, the playfulness and the humor. And I guess it kind of got fraught
1: at one point, but they basically said like after they won that battle, MTV's backed off, at least presumably until the show was a huge hit and they decided to get their claws back into it. But the funniest thing about this to me is that, I mean, this is, I guess, kind of well known in the metal community or heavy music community is that Ozzy is not the wild man that he, you know, seems to be or that VH1 would have you believe. He's a shy, unassuming, sweet young man from from england from birmingham Um, yes from birmingham and uh he was shy of cameras and (laughs) so producer jonathan taylor jt told vice in their own oral history from this year in the early days it was tough to get aussie he was very shy when we started filming in the first week or so of filming we didn't see much of him so as you mentioned earlier one of the places that was off limits was his sort of like media lounge which i guess he used for Working on music and also screening movies, and he would just disappear in there for hours. Uh, his other workaround was to stroll into the control room where they that they had set up and just talk to the crew whenever he didn't want to be filmed.
3: I mean, that's really smart. It would break the illusion to like actually yeah. turn the cameras on the camera people. I mean, this all makes sense because Ozzy's the only one of his entire family that has a reputation and a huge one. He has a lot to lose because no one could be sure if it would make him you know into this lovable pop cultural figure or just totally destroy his rock and roll credibility and the mystique that he'd been cultivating for 30 plus years so it makes sense that he was probably the most reluctant at the start to actually go along with all this and he later said that he regretted it there was an interview that he gave to the NME in 2013 where he said um, sprinkle an F bomb in between every other word (laughs) here Uh, of course I regret doing the show I didn't want to be on television I didn't become a rock and roll singer to read the weather forecast <laughs> know what i mean and the rest of the family just
1: kind of adapted I-, I think on the fly maybe a little bit better to him sharon told the ringer she was like at first you're like oh dear camera i must get myself dressed and this that the other and then after two weeks you're just like f- it i'm going down in my pajamas i don't give a <laughs> shit. this is going to be a hard one to sell ads for all of these people use the f word very liberally as
3: they well should Um, you know, the funny thing about that, apparently I think Jack and Kelly have said that their parents didn't swear anywhere near as much around them before the show started taping.
4: And I mean, there's two schools of thought
3: on that. You could say that they started playing into their larger than life TV personas or just that the kids had reached a certain age. You know, they were in their late teens at this point where like the parents no longer had to like, be careful what they said around them. But I thought that was interesting. Uh,
1: Yeah, and Jack, he said he didn't like being filmed while he was eating or first thing in the morning, both of which seem eminently reasonable. uh, And that he learned the now time-honored reality TV show hack of ruining the audio feed whenever you don't want something used. So the thing that a lot of people do, I don't know if this is coming across, (laughs) is like the ASMR thing where you like scratch the microphone cover or you, you clap into it. The other thing you can do is if you have a lav mic you you tap the lav mic
3: while you're talking so they can't use any of that Um, i've never heard about any of that i know that when the beatles were making the get back documentary that that peter jackson just cut together whenever they were having private conversations they didn't want on camera they would just strum noisily on their guitars as loud as they could and then peter jackson finally like developed technology to be able to strip that away and actually hear what they were (laughs) saying but he uh, would yeah and he would uh, yeah,
1: Jack's other move was to just cover up his camera with a towel when he was smoking pot or different friends were visiting. The list of, like, celebrities—let's do a lightning round. The list of celebrities who appeared on the Osbournes is really wild. The fact that Mandy Moore was one of his buddies, same with Elijah Did they Wood.
3: or were they just buddies?
1: Which is That's weird, a, I can't—yeah. I, I mean, it, all right, no disrespect to Jack Osborne, but— <laughs> it would really... It would surprise gi- me.
3: I mean, he's a charming, n- uh, well, no, charming young it man.
1: No, 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 it wouldn't. It would jibe with Mandy Moore dating downwards. <laughs> um, okay. okay. Which she famously did for like a decade with Ryan Adams. But uh, anyway, Elijah Wood is funnier to me, but you know, whatever. Oh, This is like
3: pure, this is like Lord of the Rings era, right? Speaking of Peter Jackson.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. He would have been on top of the world at this point. Maybe he just went over to get high with Jack and escape the pressures of
3: being Frodo. <laughs> anyway, continue. <laughs> uh, these are a little more left to center. We got Roy Orbison's son, was apparently over a lot. And for a while, I guess Jack Osborne dated Kurt Cobain's half sister. I I have no idea who that would be. I yeah, I don't I don't know. I read that somewhere <laughs> and I, I I I wanna believe it just for novelty value. Uh, who else we got? Uh, Then there was the whole like dancing with Christina Aguilera thing because there was like a famous fight on the show between Kelly and Jack where she was mad at him for dancing with Christina Aguilera and and I, I guess they had some kind of feud. I don't know. I, mean, I,
1: love, I love the idea of Christina Aguilera being like that divisive of a figure in the Osborne. It's like, she was the line you do
3: not cross. Oh, she's like irate in this clip. I don't know what the deal is. I may Or maybe they were friends. Kelly and Christina were friends and she didn't want like her brother dating her friend. I don't know what it was, but there's this like fairly famous moment when they're like screaming at each other. I just found that
1: one of the wildest things that I missed researching this. What's that? Do you know that? Christina Aguilera bought this house
3: When? Like was she the person who bought it After the Osborns
1: moved out? I just saw this on Twitter that she bought It and turned Kelly's bedroom into A shoe closet Which is
3: Okay so there's something there
1: We we have struck a nerve The single most That's up there with I don't know her That is so (laughs) apex petty I love it Uh, Yeah so at some point she bought it And then tried to unload it in the middle of Her divorce yeah she sold for let's see 11 five, which is two million less than the asking price
3: so um yeah do with that what you will. Damn. Um, So Christina was around, um, and just, like, the crew would tell these stories about hearing beautiful piano being played in the other room, and they'd walk in and find Elton John, which is, like, just a day at the office for them. I mean, all these guests made for great TV, but the downside was... You had to, like, get them to sign off on all this stuff at the last minute, like, get them to sign releases and everything. But it actually wasn't that hard because, well, two reasons. A lot of people in Hollywood knew that the Osborne's house was a live set, so they kind of knew what they were getting into when they went there. And a lot of, you know, reality TV was so new that celebrities were pretty naive about it all and just were like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to be on camera. That's cool.
1: Can you imagine a time? Nah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah, we touched on Motley Crue earlier. Did you know that Motley Crue used to babysit the Osborne kids in like the late '80s?
1: I don't. Uh, you know, my knee-jerk reaction is to be horrified, but it's much, much funnier if one of them is like a CPR-trained caregiver. <laughs> <laughs> he comes over and he's got his hair up in like a loose bun, and he's wearing like reading glasses, and he's like, "All right, kids, in bed by seven. No TV, no screens, no screen time after 8. Uh, you know, there's that other famous moment where Jack is basically trying to, you know, Jack was a, dude, he was a teenager. I'm surprised much worse things didn't come out with this show. He's a teenage boy who is growing up wealthy in LA. I'm sure they dodged many bullets, uh, bullets if they're lucky. I was waiting for that one to land. <laughs> anyway, Jack tries to get this moment where he's chasing a buddy's girl cut from the show. But Sharon, because she's a true professional, she says, sorry, Jack, we made an agreement. Maybe next time you won't try to f- your best friend's girl. That's she's good like, well, parenting. You, That's good parenting. Yeah, yeah. You took the money, Jack. <laughs> this is the business we've chosen.
3: On the flip side of that, one of the producers, Jonathan J.T. Taylor, tells a great story in the uh, Vice oral history about a moment early on in the production when Jack and Kelly were fighting, and it seemed way too real to get this on camera. So the camera crew lowered their lenses and kind of quietly left the room. And the next day, Jack said, wait, why'd you turn the cameras off? So uh, he kind of knew the deal, too. Um, You know, he's
1: gone on to produce stuff and work on television. He had the instincts early on. Yeah,
3: no, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he later said that the development for the Osborne show was so drawn out that he sort of had forgotten about it by the time it was time to start shooting. Like, he had gone off with his dad for one of the OzFest tours that summer. So then he gets home, and he's gearing up to start high school, and people start talking about a camera crew moving into his house, and he's totally freaked out. He's like, wait a minute, that that that's actually happening? Which, I mean, I feel bad for the guy in that sense. I mean, can you imagine dealing with all that as you're starting high school? I truly cannot. So just as uh,
1: Jack was funniest and most filmable when he was being a weird, horny, withdrawn, heavy metal teen, Ozzy, as everyone agrees, is most magnetic when he's just puttering around being a dad. If there's one thing other than Hamgate that this show has lodged in the popular consciousness, it is the bubble machine incident when Sharon is pitching him new stage props or whatever for his tour, and he says, Bubbles, Sharon... (laughs) I'm the Prince of Darkness, which is so funny and so perfect. But everyone in production seems like weirdly protective of him also and just have the most wouldn't adorable- you be? I would. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'd be like, protect Ozzy at all costs. Yeah. I different reminisces reminiscences include him kind of puttering around the house in a cast. Looking for the cat because he was worried it would be attacked by coyotes, stepping in dog poop, being annoyed by the vacuum cleaner, trying to work out the remote so he could watch documentaries about World War II. In one of the oral histories, forgive me, I'm forgetting which one it is, but there was a cut scene where Ozzy is getting a massage and becoming very, like, increasingly agitated with it. And she's the masseuse is, like, trying to talk him down and be like, okay, like, you know, whatever. Relax, this is, I mean, that's how they always
3: talk to me on the rare occasions I get a massage, because I can't relax, (laughs) and I hate getting a massage. So, yeah, I know exactly what he was probably (laughs) told. Yeah, and so there's a director named Donald Bull who uh, recalled
1: that after that scene, Ozzy came up to him and was like, Donald, that woman's breath smelled like a shit sandwich. I couldn't stand it. But he was still too nice to be like, I am a world-famous rock star. I should not have to put up with this. Get me another masseuse. Yeah, stop touching me. Get out of here. Uh, Because he's just a sweet boy from Birmingham. And having said all that, we'll be right back with more Too Much Information right after this.
0: Hey everyone, it's Ted
2: from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com.
4: Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day, as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there spring is a feel-good season and comes in all shapes sizes and colors the fashion at jc is the same way refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first like worthington and liz claiborne for her each in women's petite And plus sizes. And Stafford and Mutual Weave for him. Style and comfort for all. Even big and tall. Plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count.
3: So Ozzy having the worst massage of his life was not the only thing the producers cut from the Osbournes.
1: They also cut an entire sentient, living, breathing human (laughs) being. Several, actually. At least one of them of her own volition. Anyway, as listeners may or may not be aware of, there are other Osborne siblings other than Jack and Kelly. And um, the show did leave in quite a bit, like uh, Sharon's battle with breast cancer, but they cut out a ton. They cut out Kelly's dealing with drugs and alcohol. She was in uh, trouble with pill addictions and drinking. Ozzy being extremely high on camera. And the eldest Osborne child Amy at this point was trying to launch her own career as a musician and this sweet summer child said I don't want to capitalize on my family's name I want to go out on my own she later released her own music under ARO which are initials rather than make trying to capitalize on the family name and apparently this got so far as to they cut different versions of the episodes together that some had her ...in them and some didn't because
3: she was so on the fence about participating in it. That's weird that they didn't have... You know, a definitive—I'm I, I, surprised that they went through all that trouble to cut both versions, because that's a whole lot of headaches. And I guess they had to do a whole lot of recuts, like, at the very last minute to basically not have her in it as much as possible. And on the rare yeah. occasions that she was in it, she was blurred out. But she did have pretty solid reasons for not wanting to get into the ring on the circus. She gave an interview, I think it was to the Independent in 2015 she said i always really valued my privacy within that family and for me personally morally and also just to give myself a chance to actually develop into a human being as opposed to just being remembered for being a teenager it didn't really line up with what i saw for my future which i mean fair i
0: yeah,
1: given what like the way that reality tv stardom and like influencer culture has developed in the intervening 20 years she seems like a sage like a, yeah, like, or like a Knight's Templar, like an un like Elliot Ness, like untouchably morally upright and pure. But unsurprisingly, to the rest of the family who were all trying to get that bag, this caused some riffs. Mum was hurt, and we definitely had a tough time, she said at one point. And one of the show's editors, Greg Nash, told The ringer she was living at the house for many of the years that we made the show, and we kept thinking, oh, she'll come around he said it's just so funny how much she did not want any of that she thought appearing on the show would ruin her music career which is funny because she probably had a better voice than kelly and kelly's career took off because of the show that is a quote from from uh, one of the show's editors greg nash and not you editorializing but it also, but also is yes. me. yes it's also me editorializing but go ahead. go ahead. Uh, you, th- this, this Amy thing keeps
3: going. Uh, yeah, this is really sad. I guess the production of the show actually drove Amy, the oldest of Sharon and Ozzy's three children, to leave the family home. Uh, oh. During an episode of The Talk in 2018, Sharon said that Amy moved out in her late teens, uh, specifically because they were filming the Osborne show, and she just didn't want to be any part of it. And Sharon said, I know that my eldest girl, Amy, left home at 16, and she couldn't live in our house because we were filming, and it drove her insane. She felt, too, that she didn't want to grow up on camera. She hated the idea. It was appalling to her. So she left at 16, and I regret every day that she did. She was happy, but it broke my heart when she moved. Oh." But apparently there was even more drama once she moved out between Amy and the rest of the Osbournes as a result of the show, which is really unfortunate. Um, Speaking again to The Independent in 2015, Amy said that the Osbournes show was, quote, very silly, which is true, and said that her (laughs) parents' behavior on camera made her uncomfortable, which is sad. Uh, She also admitted that she doesn't have a strong bond with either of her siblings. I wouldn't say there's an ease between us, but there's an acceptance. Do we socialize? No, she said. <laughs> that is a grim
1: three-clause sentence. <laughs> like, no ease, but an acceptance. Do we see each other? No. Yeah, that's uh, up
3: there with, like, Hemingway's uh, short story, you know. For, for sale, sale baby, baby shoes. shoes. Never worn. Yeah. yeah, that's that's chilly. That's There
1: are other Osborns still. Uh, there are half-siblings named Louis John and, I did not know this, Jessica Starshine. Uh from a previous marriage. Uh, that Ozzy forgot, named, remember? <laughs> yeah. Uh stepbrother named Elliot. And then there's a um a- Jordan and I have been giggling for the past five minutes over whether or not to refer to this person as a man or a boy, because he's a man now, but he was a, a minor when he was on the show. He's like uh, a friend of the family. This woman died of colon cancer, and Ozzy and Sharon promised her on her deathbed that they would take care of him. His name is Robert Mercado. And he, basically, he's like a, they basically took him in. And Sharon told
3: ABC in 2002 he is the only normal person. In that house, that's absolutely true. I read that um, after a stint in acting school, I, I read that he moved back with his father in Rhode Island in 2008, and he's been out of contact with the Osbournes for a while. I think that—I I don't know what the latest is with him. And from Robert Marcato, that brings us to Ham. <laughs> like so many episodes of this show, we come to our segment on Ham. In 2002, the Osbournes
1: were at a crossroads that involved ham (laughs) i the word ham to me is so intrinsically comedically hilarious i'm going to be leaning on that a lot going forward expand on that for a moment i'd like to hear why as most things do it comes back to my dad who one of the weird disgusting pennsylvania trash foods that he likes eating is ham salad which is exactly what it sounds like it's ham mayo and if you're feeling spicy some relish it's disgusting and he makes it and like eats it by the tub whenever there's a leftover Christmas ham or whatever. And it's just like a joke with my sister and I just the phrase ham salad, even over text, just like sends us into paroxysms of laughter. Anyway, viewers will recall that the Osbornes had a feud with their neighbor who we will get to in a moment. This escalated to the point that you alluded to earlier during which late at night when there was apparently like one guy working the Osborne's graveyard shift, Sharon chucked a leftover Christmas ham over their shared fence to retaliate from the noise for the noise. What were they doing? Uh, was it just like loud music or a party? Yeah. Or what? So we talk, I think we talk about this a little later, but this guy was like listening to playback of like his new. It was another musician. And so they were listening to playback or they were listening to music. It was loud in the backyard the took umbrage. Things escalated to the point where they were just chucking detritus from their house over the fence. Sharon famously throws a ham. There is one part that does not make it to air. Ozzy pulled a log out of their fire pit and chucks it over. Still flaming, right? Yeah, while it was still smoldering or on fire. And when he saw the test footage, production had added like a cartoon, like, this is why we need a soundboard just for stuff like this. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> production had added like a cartoon like glass shattering effect to the after he throws the log and he was very concerned that he had actually broken one of their windows and he was like oh my god they have children they could call the police blah 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 and production was like um that wasn't real (laughs) sorry well sweet
3: birmingham boy
1: aussie again this
3: gets back to him being like we need to protect him
1: Yes, protect Ozzy at all costs. I mean, it is a little cruel for production to be playing with the perception of reality of someone who did acid for so many years as <laughs> Ozzy did. Like, maybe he's not the guy you want to be, like, literally toying with the fabric of his reality. But the Osborne's neighbors. I'm a little shocked it took us this long to get to this. One of them is Pat Boone. Uh, easy listening icon, Pat Boone, not the man on the receiving end of Sharon's ham, um, but indeed one of their neighbors. And he told People Magazine in 2002 that he had never had any problems with the Osbournes. He said any loud music that was coming on was usually from the kids, wasn't really uh, Sharon or Ozzy's doing And this is, I love this so much. This puts a perfect picture in my mind. He says, his fondest memory of being their neighbor was riding bikes with Sharon through Beverly Hills on the sidewalks, and she's towing Ozzy behind her in a wagon because of his balance problem. Like a toddler. (laughs) Yes, like a toddler or a dog. (laughs) Um, But the other neighbor, the target of the ham, which is my favorite Thomas Harris novel. (laughs)
3: I mean, that's going to be your uh, next EP, The Target of the Ham. The
1: Target, the target of the Hams. Moving on, <laughs> the other neighbor, the Target of the Ham, was <laughs> Greg Owen. I did not recognize this name. He had a big hit in 86 called My Favorite Waste of Time. And he told Heat Magazine in 2002 that we were having a sing song, which already I hate him because he said that. We were having a sing song of my new material in the back of my garden when Ozzy claimed I was playing it too loud next minute he started firing stuff over the wall Sharon's even wilder than he is which yet duh he sold the house in two thousand six but the, the year the Osborns went off the air he should have stuck it out there's a wild conspiracy <laughs> was was his participation in the show simply uh jack up uh, to real estate value yes
3: exactly Very interesting
1: but He should have been counting his blessings, because Sharon told The Guardian in 2006 that one of her favorite moves after getting into a fight with someone was to mail the offending party a Tiffany's box, the distinctive, iconic, bright blue box that she had filled with her own poop.
3: Jesus Christ! <laughs> I mean, these They're people really... are are vicious. You do you do not want to get on the wrong side of these people. I mean, there's the there's a, a famous tabloid story after Ozzy admitted to cheating on Sharon in like 2016, 2017 with uh, a stylist named Michelle Pew. Um, Kelly basically doxed this woman by tweeting out her private phone number. So uh, yes, uh, you you don't want to piss these people off.
1: Yeah, uh, that was real life. Some things about the show were not. I, I did not prepare any segues in advance of this, so you're you're getting tail end of a work you're getting tail end of a workday segues from me. Um, you know, twenty years later, we know reality TV is mostly horse, <laughs> but when the show ended in uh, 2006, Jack and Kelly talked to ABC, and they really sort of blew the doors wide open on it. They were like, so much of this was put together by MTV. Particularly their famous meeting with a dog therapist, which Jack squarely said that was an MTV thing. Kelly added, I put that in my contract that I will not do anything like that. F***ing dog therapist. Anyway, first season in the books, the show is a hit. It didn't just launch the careers of the Osborne children, but it blew the doors wide open on reality TV. According to the LA Times, writing about Nielsen ratings, in July 2002, the Osbournes wound up as the highest-rated cable series in MTV's 20-year history, averaging 5.3 million viewers during the first season and peaking at 7.2 million viewers in the season finale. Producer Nash told The Ringer, the episode we did with professional skateboarder Jason Dill, when that aired... 24 percent of 18 to 54 year olds that owned tv sets were tuned in that night fully a quarter of the country's main demographic was watching that show uh you know one of the figures that i found was the family signed a seven million dollar agreement with miramax for dvd video rights um they won an emmy primetime emmy in 2002 the second season premiere pooled six point six million viewers, which was up eighty-four percent of the first. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that TV execs uh pleasure
3: themselves over. I mean, these days, I mean, how many how many big bang theories is that right now? I mean, that's <laughs> insane numbers. What is that yeah. in episodes of young Sheldon right. uh, adjusted for inflation?
1: But, you know.
3: But it wasn't was, all wasn't all flying hams and <laughs> <laughs> what hams come up Must <laughs> come down
1: But pigs wouldn't always fly For the Osbournes. Uh Just take what you want We're spinning gold here um, Everything changed big time once, once the show aired, Jack told The Ringer It was really difficult to have a high school life And that's why I dropped out I just said I'm, gonna, I'm going to go work in TV which he did Because school became a hindrance And again, we mentioned this was sort of the Wild West for reality TV. The family also became guinea pigs, essentially, for a new area of media-aided celebrity stalking. Um, You know, Jack talks about how people would pause the show and zoom in and see phone numbers that he had written down on notepads. Uh, People gave out his AOL instant messenger handle, which is an extremely dated reference. Uh, He said he had to change his phone number every six months. And, you know, the star maps, the maps to the homes of the stars, things that they have in L.A., um, the Osborn's house was quickly added to one of those. Uh, Sharon said there were people outside our house every day. It was like living in Disneyland. And, you know, you mentioned earlier that their house was under construction when they started. So they didn't have a wall in their front yard. So they quickly had to add a wall uh, to the front side of their property. And Johnson said that became a source of entertainment for them, too, because Ozzy had them add a sprinkler system that he could control remotely. So when people were trying to take pictures, he would squirt them with water and laugh, which is adorable. Again, Ozzy, sweet boy from Birmingham. We must protect him at all costs. And one of my other favorite celebrity anecdotes for this, Jack talks about being at the Emmys uh, and he says Brad Pitt came up to him. He says, quote, I was like 16 in the green room and just eating some celery (laughs) and he walks up to me. He's like, hey man, me and Jen, because he was married to Jennifer Anderson at the time, me and Jen watched you guys every night in bed. We had our agents get us all the episodes.
3: Stars, they're just like us. But the first season was a high watermark that Would not be reached again because, you know, the Osbournes, as much as they ever were anonymous, now were really not anonymous. None of them were. I mean, they couldn't really go anywhere. I think Sharon tells this really kind of adorable story about how, I guess, they used to go as a family to a drum circle in Venice Beach. And they went, like, I think a week after the first episode aired, like, there was just only one episode out, and as they were walking down Venice Beach, all of a sudden, everybody's just turning and recognized them from this TV show, and they knew that things were gonna be really different from them after that. I think that was the moment when they realized that, you know... This was something that was going to be uh, life changing, and for season two, they were no longer naive. You know, I mean, they knew how the show would be cut together, and so they were a little more self aware, which you know, kind of spoiled the magic. Um, I love the also, idea. I love the idea that in the biopic
1: of the Osbournes, like the moment when they lose their innocence is being not able to participate in a drum circle in Venice Beach <laughs> anonymously. <laughs> like it's it's set to like Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings to like indicate the loss of innocence and like you see like kelly sadly like carting her djembe away (laughs) jack just lack like lackluster yeah like pounding a talking drum just all the color draining from their face anyway where's peter jackson on that
3: (laughs) we're gonna take a quick break but we'll be right back with more too much information in just a moment
0: Naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from at and Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. at and Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited to availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig for details
3: A series of, uh, I can't even call them misfortunes, true tragedies, befell the family in this period. Bad (laughs) Yeah, truly. Uh, Sharon was diagnosed with colon cancer, which the show handled in an honest and respectful manner. Uh, Sharon was very open about the diagnosis, but she picked up on the sense that the producers were treading lightly so that it didn't seem like they were exploiting this family crisis for ratings. Uh, She later said, There was so much stuff they didn't show with that. I think they thought it was too much, but it didn't worry me because so many people get cancer. It would have been something for younger kids to see that it's not a death sentence, that people do come out of it, which I thought was a... A cool take on it. So she really wanted to be very uh, open about her battle. It's thought that the stress of Sharon's health scare contributed to ozzy's relapse during the second season of the show after many years sober. And what's worse, it's thought that the the strain of this family trauma uh, exacerbated Jack and Kelly's burgeoning drug use. Kelly had, I guess, been prescribed Vicodin after she got her tonsils out at age thirteen, and this ballooned into a uh, serious dependency. And by her own admission, she was taking up to like fifty pills a day. And so. Sought treatment, and uh, Jack did as well for an addiction to Oxycontin. Uh, he sought treatment in 2003 as a, as a very young man. I think he was like 17 or 18. And he's been sober ever since. In fact, I think they both have. So good for both of them.
1: Yeah, I mean, Stilson told Vice that when Sharon got cancer, Ozzy started using again, and then the family became dysfunctional. It was kind of tragic at a certain point when Ozzy was clearly taking drugs and the family kind of broke down as a result. We should have stopped after season one. It was 10 great episodes. Nash kind of echoes that. He said uh, Ozzy was having a little bit more trouble with either mismedication, which is a generous euphemism, or drinking or some combo of both. And we just weren't finding the comic gems which is a pretty cold way of, of assessing that situation.
3: Yeah, not to totally excuse Ozzy's behavior, but I guess he'd fallen in with a doctor who was uh, somewhat indulgent, another euphemism there. Uh, there was a Beverly Hills internist called Dr. Kipper. That's, is that vague enough that we won't get sued? We <laughs> just call him Dr. Kipper. And Ozzy was seeing him for substance abuse issues, of all things. And this Dr. Kipper was later investigated for overprescribing medications to his famous clientele, And Ozzy's claim that during filming of the Osbournes, Dr. Kipper provided him with up to 13 different medications at once, which led to him consuming 42 pills a day, which included Valium, Dexedrine... And Adderall, among uh, numerous others. Ozzy later said during the filming of the later episodes of the series, "quote I was wiped out on pills. I couldn't talk. I couldn't walk. I could barely stand up. I was lumbering about like the hunchback of Notre Dame. It got to the point where I was scared to close my eyes at night. I was afraid I might not wake up." And an investigation on this, Doctor Kipper revealed that he wasn't even certified in the medical field that he practiced. So, I would imagine that he got shut down real quick. But Man, you stop
1: even like having a uh, a scale of like that amount of drug taking. What do they tell you to not take more than like two Adivin or Oxys or that stuff in a day? 42. I mean, even grading on a curve for Aussie Is that like a like a half pound of pills that you like could hold in your, you know, like those you see those sugar cube pyramids they make for like the content of like a, a, a Coke. What does 42 pills look like in a human being's hand? I was just thinking of Mike and Ike's, but <laughs> and you, yeah. Would. I mean, that's a lot. Um, briefly, we talked about like the Miramax deal that was like a seven million dollar payday for home video distribution rights. But money was a big factor in pushing this show forward. Uh, and Kelly It's pretty vocal about this. So I want to say admirably, Kelly admitted, perhaps admirably, her reasons for doing the show to ABC in 2006. I'm not afraid to say I only did this for the money. Because after this, I get to buy my own house, I get to move out, and I get to do what I want without having to live off my parents, and I think that's the most gratifying thing ever. All right, so I take back what I said. That's good for her. She wanted to get off the teat. And what money there was, Jordan. Oh, such riches for the Osborns. This is really sad. 5K per episode in season one. That's crazy. That's that's not even property taxes on that house.
3: That's I mean that's a business deal from Don Arden's daughter. Don Arden would be dangling people out of windows by their ankles if somebody came back with him with that kind of money. He was rolling wow. over and rolling over in hell. But they quickly
1: rectified that because they made 20 million dollars for 40 more episodes according to the LA Times. We talked about the Miramax distribution deal, Kelly's music career such as it was, but While we're talking about Osborne's money, we have to talk about the Julian's auction. There were six pairs of Ozzy's wire rim glasses that were sold at this one auction. There was a set of two, four were sold separately. Jordan, let's do a quick lightning round. Let's do some prices right style. Closest without going over, what do you think Ozzy's wire rim glasses sold for? Let's do the separate one before we do the set.
3: Were they tinted with blue? Does not specify. Okay, uh, I'm gonna say uh, four thousand five hundred. Ooh, uh, so far over. Oh, really?
1: Well, not not actually. This is so deeply bizarre. One pair sold for fifteen hundred. Another pair sold for twenty seven hundred. A third pair sold for twenty eight hundred, and the the set sold for thirty four hundred. Thirty four hundred. All right, lot number one hundred fifty six, a two thousand two Teen Choice Award surfboard. Jordan, what is your
3: answer? I'm going to say $850. $1250. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Sharon's wig. Lot number
1: 472. Oh, about eight bucks? <laughs> Close. 250 Oh, that's cold. That's like, okay. <laughs> it is. It is. And lastly, and this is my favorite, a photograph of Jane Fonda as Barbarella. Does not specify if it was signed. Jordan, what do
3: you think it went for? Uh, $350.
1: <laughs> 312 dollars 50 It went over. Damn it. Oh, boy. Anyway, in their defense, all that money went to Sharon's colon cancer nonprofit.
3: So, very nice for them.
1: Anyway, what ham goes up must come down.
3: That is right. Even though the money was still pouring in by the end of the fourth season in 2005, the show was on its last legs. Executive producer Jeff Stilton was quoted in the vice oral history as saying, I don't know how we ultimately got 50 episodes out of it. It was limping along at the end like a wounded animal hemorrhaging blood. What a way with words. I was going to say, what a very Aussie-friendly analogy, I feel like. (laughs) Like a headless bat. And that's when the family decided to go out on top. Uh, Sharon later said, it would have destroyed our family if we'd gone on forever. And she told our kids, this can't be your whole thing in life. You can't just be a person that's filmed every day. There's much more to who you are and what you want to do, which I feel like is a really strong, beautiful lesson that would very quickly be rendered obsolete by the next generation (laughs) of reality stars and social media influencers who are filmed every day, and there's not a whole lot more to who they are or what they do. But it's a very nice thought, Sharon, so thank you for that. Sharon was never more wrong than that until... She was.
1: But aside from providing the blueprint for an entire burgeoning genre of, this rich family has the same weird dynamic as your poor one. Uh, Shows like Gene Simmons' Family Jewels, Hogan Knows Best, and Keeping Up with the Kardashians were the the direct spawn of this show, really. Um, The Osbournes also sent the family spiraling off into new and largely successful directions. Jack became a television producer and star, including a show that he did with his dad. Kelly eventually transitioned away from music after Lightning failing to strike once. And uh, she is now a television personality. Yeah, Lightning didn't catch multiple times.
3: (laughs) In case we do cut most of that, yeah, Heigl went off on a lengthy tangent about Kelly Osbourne's uh, music career and then asked me to cut it for fear that she would dox him as she did with the stylist who Ozzy cheated on her mother with.
1: But you can look up the statistics. They are out there, and they are grim. Uh, but she's been much more successful as an RNA and personality. She was on Fashion Police, Project Runway Jr., and most recently and memorably competed on The Masked Singer. The Masked.
3: Singer. I've, still, I've still never seen that. I still don't understand that. I prefer don't... to
1: think of it as like a glitch in the Matrix. Like a machine just like knocked my head socket port like slightly out of whack. And I've just like hallucinated it. Um, Sharon, meanwhile, launched a TV empire of her own. She appeared as a judge on America's Got Talent, X Factor. She was a contestant on Celebrity Apprentice. And she was on The Talk for many years until she decided to and this is like never get into a land war in Russia and never go to bat for Piers Morgan she was defending Piers Morgan going after Meghan Markle and got into a heated exchange with her co-host Cheryl Underwood it is some of the most awkward television I've ever seen in my life
3: And, and we've just spent the last hour and a half talking about the Osbournes
1: yeah yeah and She quit the show two weeks later after the incident. It will presumably be costing CBS millions of dollars into the future. I'm sure she got some kind of walking away money for that. It was a real mess. But the most important thing to come out of this is that as of 2022, Ozzy has been sober for eight years. Good for him. We must protect Ozzy. Black Sabbath was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2006 for whatever that's worth. (laughs) <laughs> and he's he's got a tour scheduled to start in May 2023 because he
3: is the Iron Man. God love him. Hell yes. God save Ozzy. And while we're on the topic of Ozzy keeping on trucking, there have been rumors about an Osborne's reboot show. Uh, this started way back in 2014 when Sharon promised that they were due to start filming something in early 2015 and Kelly was asked about it in the press and she said she was open to it, but it never materialized. Some people have speculated that maybe doing this show again would be triggering for Ozzy sobriety. I'm not sure, but as of taping this episode, we are no closer to an Osborne's family reunion, which is, let's face it, probably for the best. The Osborne's the show... It's just a snapshot of a time, both for the family and also for us as a country. There's a really interesting theory that Jack Osborne shared, uh, and he attributes a major portion of the success of this show was because it debuted fairly soon after 9-11, a few months later. And in this confusing time, people put on this show that was you know, very clearly intended as escapism. But as they watched this family that they assumed was absolutely nothing like their own in the slightest they begin to have glimmers of self-recognition. And he said, in a way, this is a lot like our family. And Jack says, I think that provided a weird sense of comfort and solidarity in a kind of heady way. And he's also really grateful that the show exists because he likens the episodes to the greatest home videos anyone could ever ask for. All right, well, that brings us to the end of the journey
1: of the Osbournes. We've been musing on this for 90 minutes now. It is still eminently bizarre to me that not only did Ozzy Osbourne go from semi-washed-up rock and roll wild man to America's wacky uncle from across the pond in one season of television for which he was dramatically underpaid, but (laughs) that family reshaped modern American television essentially in their image. You know, Jordan, in the end, it really is Ozzy's crazy train,
3: and we're all just along for the ride. <laughs> well, I think that's about all for the Osborns. You know, I'm I'm tired, but it's a good kind of tired. Thank you for tuning into too much information. <laughs> the forty-two pills that Jordan took earlier today are finally
1: kicking in. <laughs> And like a ham launched by Sharon Osborne across the fence, he's, he's in low Earth orbit now. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in to Too Much Information. I'm Alex Heigel. And I'm Jordan Rentog.
3: Thanks so much for listening. Much information was a production of iHeartRadio.
1: The show's executive producers are Noel Brown and Jordan Runtog. The supervising producer
3: is Mike Johns. The show was researched, written, and hosted by Jordan Runtog and Alex heigl with original music by Seth Applebaum and the Ghost Funk Orchestra. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
4: Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first. Like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count.
2: This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.
4: You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. (sighs)